Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome to another edition of Geek Town Radio. Uh, it's a special edition this week. As I mentioned last week, I've been having a few computer problems. They're now almost all resolved, but uh, it was going to be a bit difficult to record the show while I was trying to switch everything over. So um, luckily, what this actually also solves is another problem in that I had two interviews that I wanted to put out this week and it would have made the uh, main podcast very long had I put them both on. So uh, this has allowed me to put both interviews up. Um, one of them is related to Strike Back and one of them is related to American Gods. Both of shows which, uh, well, Strike Back started back last week and you've got American Gods coming up on uh, the 11th of March, which is next Monday. The first interview, like I say, related to Strike Back, it's with Kenton Oxley. And uh, Kenton Oxley is the CEO of Knockout Production Services. Knockout are basically the people that facilitate filming in foreign countries. In the case of Strike Back, it was Malaysia, but they work in various different countries. And it's their job to help out the TV and film studios deal with anything from getting grants and stuff from the government through to uh, sorting out filming locations, dealing with all the uh, technical issues that come with filming it abroad. They not only work on Strike Back, they also work on uh, shows like Top Gear and The Grand Tour. So you can imagine what a headache those sort of things are, as well as sort of helping out with locations and, and like I say, governments and that sort of stuff. They're also, you may have heard Top Gear refer to uh, fixers and they do a certain amount of that as well so we we discuss a bit about uh, strike back and uh, the sort of stuff that they do for people things like uh, finding the location for the introduction of jamie bamber who's in the new series we also talk a little bit about um the some of the crazy things that they ended up having to do for for top gear and the grand tour as well here's kenton i'll let him explain a little bit more about what they do and uh, hopefully it'll make sense to you apologize for the quality of this call it was on a mobile phone and he was uh, taking a train journey at the time so you can hear the train announcer occasionally in the background you can still hear him quite well so uh, have a listen to this it's about 15 minutes long we'll be back with the next interview straight afterwards 
I run a company called Knockout Production yeah. Services, and we specialize in delivering film production in developing markets or tougher places, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> and our job on those shows is to try and give clients an experience that is sort of equal to that, that they have in a developed market in places like the middle of the jungle or a um, suburb of Kuala Lumpur or deepest, darkest India or wherever it is in the world and, and give them a, uh, a seamless, high-quality experience in, in those territories. The biggest part of what we do is we secure government funding for production. So if you're coming in a territory like Malaysia, we'll make sure that the government gives you a rebate back on filming in that territory um, and most of the territories we work actually so we work with the governments as well to try and ensure that they understand the importance of film production to their economies and want to give our clients uh, a cash incentive for, for doing that okay cool in, in layman's terms we're a bit like a travel agent for the film industry but <laughs> worrying about all elements of their production. Yeah, that makes sense. How did you get involved in doing that in the first place? That's the story. So I grew up in the industry. My, my father was uh, in film and television. He was a costume designer. Um, okay. And I trained as a producer director and qualified as a producer director. I worked for ITV and for Sky and all sorts of people back in, in, in the early days. And then I ran a studio called Maystone Studios. There we used to do all sorts of weird stuff like um, Trisha, Goddard Show and Supermarket Sweep and lots of kids show stuff like Art Attack yeah. and stuff and they still do things like uh, Jules Holland and Take Me Out and things like that. And, and I was sat in my office in the middle of the Kent countryside and I got a phone call from the Abu Dhabi government asking me to go and set up a uh, film industry really there. Um, <laughs> and obviously at MTA that was quite an exciting challenge and we went out there and I was I was working for the Abu Dhabi government for seven years and in that time we brought out things like um, Star Wars Episode 7. Wow. We did Fast and Furious 7. Lots of other exciting things like Top Gear and yeah. Indian movies and all sorts of fun. Then there comes a point in your career where you don't want to be working for the government for much longer, uh, <laughs> any government, wherever that is in the world. And I was very fortunate Fox Star Studios asked me to do some consultancy for them as a kind of a freelance producer. Uh, that gave me the ability to set up Knockout uh, with a kind of guaranteed income stream. And we started servicing all the BBC shows in the Middle East, which is completely where we started. So we look after Top Gear and things like that there. We've done the Grand Tour. We do even and crazy stuff like Cake Boss, which is a uh, <laughs> yeah. like, like Bake Off, but in the States, Bake Off. We did that in Saudi Arabia. Um, we did all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And then Pinewood Malaysia got us a sense of what we'd done in Abu Dhabi and what we were doing across the Middle East, and they asked us to do some consultancy out there. So we did that in Malaysia, and on the back of that, I set up a business, a business there, which is how Strike Back came to us. And basically, I've kind of become the go-to guy for tougher places, and friends phoned me up and sort of said, do you know anyone in India? And I said, no one that I can recommend. And they're like, can you do something for us out there? So we set up India. Um, <laughs> similarly with Bulgaria. And now we're looking at Thailand and Portugal as well. And that's kind of how it happened. It evolved. It was There was no master plan. It's just that more and more people are filming abroad and they want to film in more challenging places to bring new looks and, and new experiences to viewers at home. And um, we've become used to dealing with the issues that these tougher places bring up. Yeah. And so people start coming to us and it's kind of win-win for 
another one, really. I know it sounds a bit hippie-ish, but we've got a bit of a social objective, really. We try and empower those local markets that wouldn't otherwise get those films. And we're helping our clients have a better experience, more positive experience in markets where they otherwise dismiss it, potentially. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but, you know, people automatically always think India is impossible. Actually, it isn't, if you know how to navigate it. It's one of the most successful film industries in the world, so clearly they can make films. And for viewers at home, I hope we bring authenticity. You know, they get to see things that they just don't see on camera. Pakistan is always shot as South Africa. I mean, the countries look completely <laughs> different. But, you know, there are a number of films, things like Eye in the Sky, that are exclusively shot in South Africa, and people simply don't know what Pakistan is like as a country, and that's not fair to Pakistan, and it's not authentic to the experience. So, you know, that, that's a big part of what we're trying to do, and what actually what makes me most excited is bringing opportunities into markets that otherwise wouldn't be able to get the benefit of these major productions. Totally. So when it comes to something like Strike Back, did they specifically come to you saying we want to shoot in Malaysia or because it, it's not well, actually no it's much longer it's much longer conversation than that normally and this is actually what we love doing so it started back in when they were shooting in Jordan actually last year or two years ago we, we got a bit of help or advice really just helping friends out about how to get the most out of Jordan and then they talked to us about the new season they're trying to bring a totally different look to camera big challenge with Strike Back is that they're trying to look like they're shooting in as many places as possible yeah. so our season covers everything from kind of Thailand to Malaysia itself to India to even Russia and we're trying to do that with the minimum number of company moves possible Yeah. so try and do it all within one country and that, that's very challenging I mean trying to double Russia and Indonesia in one country is not easy <laughs> um, no so we talked to them about that process and the reason we really strongly advised Malaysia was two things really it's got a very diverse culture um, there is a really solid Indian Chinese and Southeast Asian as you would call it in general community so there are pockets of Malaysia you can go into and you would think that you're not in the middle of Mumbai but right. there are beautiful Indian temples there are large Indian communities you know literally you get dumped into that place and you if you didn't know that you into Malaysia, you would think you're in the middle of Goa. And similarly with China, and similarly, you know, we can double Thailand, we can double Indonesia, we can double Malaysia itself, obviously Singapore, etc. All out of that one country. So it gave massive diversity in a, in a very small space, somewhere that often people just write off as jungle and beach. It isn't that at all. We can, it was shot in something like 65 locations across the realm of the project. So that, that was one of the main reasons. And then obviously there's a very healthy government incentive to being in Asia as well, yeah. along with a good infrastructure. And combining those three things, running budgets, looking at how we put the show together, that's what drove there but it's a, it's a long process it's probably an 18 month process before you even start rolling a camera wow. in terms of putting the piece together and making sure that you can deliver the show and that's the fun bit actually delivering the show day to day is pretty much logistics and budget running and people management but the exciting thing is trying to piece all the bits of the puzzle together to give the best solution to our plans because you could have shot that show in Thailand but then Thailand doesn't have the same Indian uh, community doesn't have the same Chinese community it has some but not the same diversity that yeah. had. The rebate isn't so strong. So we did look at Thailand, we looked at other places. So you to piece that puzzle together, that's that's the exciting bit, really. We've obviously got Jamie Bamba joining Strike Back this time and he sort of makes this grand entrance on a rooftop in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, and uh, I, I'm guessing because you know the country better, are you the person that's sort of advising on where the best place is to shoot, that sort of thing? Yeah, look, you know, I mean, you know what, really that location is quite unusual in that I did personally identify it and right. I had it in my back pocket 
market for some time now. Normally, we have a wonderful location management team who are absolutely expert at what they do. And I, I don't want to pretend that I can do their job anywhere as well as they can. And that is what they do. They get they sit down with the production designer. They go through the ideas of what they want it to look like, what, what's in the script, how the director wants it to feel. And then they identify locations that fit that purpose. And, and those guys are awesome at that. Weirdly, with that rooftop helipad location, there's actually a, a restaurant, a solid. It, it, you can actually eat on top of that location if you want to. So those that are looking for it, that's called the Heli Bar in Kuala Lumpur. That location I identified for a film that ended up not being made about four years ago. And I just kept it in my mind. That was an action movie that we were looking at for Fox. And the show didn't end up being filmed there. It ended up being shot between Thailand and Florida. So it didn't come to Malaysia. But we, I thought this location is epic. You've got the perfect city backdrop, uninterrupted. You've got a beautiful helipad. It's fully accessible. It's, you know, there's bathrooms, etc. Downstairs, so it's a very viable location. We have to keep this for something. So it gets stored away in the back of the mind for a later rainy day. And, mm. and at some point, the show like Strike Back comes along, and you think, okay, this is the, the perfect place to film it. And, and that's exactly what happened. Um, it, is, it is stunning. You get the full Kuala Lumpur story backdrop behind you, um, right in the middle of the city. And yeah. the ones that we would have found while we were scouting Strike Back, it will be saved up for a rainy day on another project in the yeah. picture if the Strike Back didn't use them. So that, that, that happens regularly. Yeah. And when it comes to a show like Strike Back, obviously there's there's a lot of um, shootouts and kind of guns involved. How do you go around sourcing places like that? Because I, I imagine doing that out in an open street can't be the safest thing or can't be the easiest <laughs> thing. So. No. I mean, I think you're actually really, your you're kind of Freudian was correct. It's, it starts with making sure you can deliver that safely. Um, yeah. we, we had a wonderful uh, team of coordinators and, and armed suppliers. We used firearms out of uh, South Africa who are a really massively experienced team the stunt team are incredibly well trained so that gives you confidence when you're going to a location of don't worry your building's not going to be damaged we yeah. have world leading team that do some of the largest films that will ensure that your property is not damaged and that everything is safe and it is you know we didn't have a single injury due to firearms on the project at all and we filmed for six months so that says a lot about how yeah. skilled the team are even with things like cartridge for coming out which that does happen you know the team are expert they're brilliant at what they do and they're well versed in it so you go to a location they can see the experience in the team you manage it very effectively you work very closely with the government I mean that was particularly difficult in Malaysia on strike back because we just had a big change of government in Malaysia that wasn't expected um, right. so there hadn't been a change of government in Malaysia for 60 plus years um, <laughs> then suddenly you've got a new regime coming in you've got a full lockdown of firearms across, across the country it's a very safe country and we wanted to continue that to be the case even though there was going through a huge upheaval in terms of the politics there and then we arrived three weeks later and decided that in the middle of downtown Kuala Lumpur we're going to stage a street battle um, <laughs> it's not you know not the easiest thing but most of the time governments come on board for police it's actually interesting you know the safer the country the easier it is for us because the police most of the time are only having to deal with travel, traffic fines and then they get to be on part of the film set and yeah. taking part we try and use the, the, the police actually as, as extras within the project so the police were actually involved themselves the, the police armed forces unit which are called Star Force they were, in Malaysia they were the actual Star Force which is <laughs> the equivalent of our armed response unit in the UK they were the real police officers it's about being collaborative making sure that everybody's aware making sure that everybody 
really the part of what you're doing. And most of the time, people just think it's great fun, you know. Yeah. Um, it's more challenging in more dangerous places, but it's about managing those relationships and communicating like most problems, really. But it's fun stuff, so it's easier to get people on board. What's been the oddest request you've had from a production company for setting up a shoot somewhere? I think some of the top gears have been some of the most challenging top gears <laughs> and grand tours. Yeah. They're really tough shows. So we did a grand tour where we drove a tank through a shopping mall. Um, that <laughs> yes. was quite good fun. Literally through the wall of the shopping mall. Uh, I remember that. And yeah. then into the shopping mall itself. That was a fun one. Um, on Top Gear, we took a Bugatti Chiron through a border crossing and we tried to get both the governments in uh, Oman and in Abu Dhabi on board in making sure that our vehicles and uh, sport vehicles as well as the main vehicle were not stopped. So in effect, we went through a customs crossing without any regulation and without any screening. That was an interesting challenge. We were racing a plane in a car and yeah. therefore the simple thing of trying to go through a customs border with 20 vehicles which is what we were that would normally take four or five hours and automatically yeah. the you know, game would be lost before you've even started so uh, yeah. us as part of the fixing company actually were fundamental to the storytelling on that project so yeah bizarre things like that um, I mean I did one on for Top Gear a while ago where we drove a six wheel G-Wagon through a wild wadi water river of a massive water park in Abu Dhabi you know, things like that they're, they're the most bizarre and quirky um, we, we get some epic and challenging requests on the film projects but they're not that funny do you know what I mean they're not, yeah, they're not yeah. quirky they're just I need a shopping mall for two weeks and I need to completely close it down so that we can blow it up uh, it's not not the easiest for a request but it's not that funny and not that amusing but no. Top Gear and Grand Tour always adapt to, to stimulate us um, they're definitely the more difficult projects from that regard yeah. we do deal with mad stuff like having to get boa constrictors off of set and things like that but, uh, but yeah definitely Grand Tour and, and, and Top Gear are some of the most fun in terms of the challenges that they present to us last question if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show or film that you haven't managed to work on yet what would it be I'd love to do a Bond I'd really love to do a Bond <laughs> I'd really that you know because from a production point of view they're extremely challenging but extremely well resourced yeah. and they come with a name that means that from a, you can really leverage the government to do anything on those projects yeah. definitely putting it out there we're, we're really up for doing a bond if anybody ever wants us to I mean the scale of what they achieve the resources that are available to them not just in terms of budget but also in terms of their brand and the ability for, to leverage that brand in talking to local authorities and governments it, it's just not beaten by any other uh, other uh, franchise room. Totally, I, I completely get that. Well, thanks for taking the time out to have a chat. Real pleasure, Dave. Thank you. Been good. No worries. Thanks, thanks Kenton. Bye. Thanks so much, mate. Take Bye. care. Bye. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
So that was Kenton Oxley, the CEO of Knockout Productions. If you want to catch up with Strike Back, it's airing on Sky One now, and uh, you can also get it on demand and on Now TV and all those other places. So uh, go and check that out. The next interview we have relates to American Gods, specifically season two, which I had the opportunity to uh, go to London and watch a couple of episodes of the new season, which is absolutely fabulous. They've got some really interesting locations, really interesting new cast. They also utilise a lot of the old cast a lot more and uh, they're a lot more together in this as well. So whereas we only got little glimpses of people like Technical Boy and uh, Bill Quiss and Mr. World, we're getting a lot more of that in this new season. So uh, it's really quite intriguing. Along with seeing those two episodes that we got to watch, they also did a Q&A with uh, Ricky Whittle, who of course plays Shadow Moon, Emily Browning, who plays Laura Moon, and Ian McShane, who plays Mr. Wednesday. You may recognize the interviewer's voice it's our old friend jamie east him of uh, game of thrones and various other things he was the person to conducting the interview for there so what i'm doing is putting the whole interview and q a up on the podcast so you can listen all the way through ian mcshane was on top top form and speaks not only about the upcoming show there's uh there's no spoilers in it i don't think he, he they were very careful with him what they actually said but he does talk a little bit about the production issues that if you've been following the news you know that they had a few production problems after season one and with uh, producers leaving and that sort of stuff so talks a little bit about that uh, they also talk about what's happening with their characters and what's coming up for the next season so it was really interesting ian was fabulous uh jamie was great at conducting it as well so here's the whole interview with the cast of american gods when we come back afterwards i'll do a few highlights for next week on tv can i please introduce the stage mr wednesday himself ian mcshane Is it still sparkling? I'm bougie, I'm bougie now. <laughs> no, I, I drank sparkling earlier and I spat it out because I was shocked. I, I don't like it, it's too fancy for me. You spat it right back into the glass like a little baby. I did. I'm a child. How does it feel to be uh, back in American God's land? Exciting. In American God's land? Right, kind of like back in the, back in the throng of it all. I mean, it's great. I mean, the the one great thing about this cast is is we really get on. We we, we have a you know a, a ball from from day one working with Ian. You know, I, I have almost too much fun. You know, this is the guy that, again. I, I've got. A, he pays me to put in this quick you know five minute stint where I big him up. Um, so sorry, so Ian McShane is is wonderful to work for. Uh, with sir, that's a club I do not wish to be a part of. Like Albert, thank you, Albert. But no, we, we, we had a great time, you know, uh, and, and from day one, we, we, we had a great chemistry. And, and you know, I, I've said it before and I'll say it every single time to for a, for a, for a very, very young actor. Uh, it's the best, edu- very young. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's the best education possible, you know, to watch all of Ian's nuances and choices that he makes. Uh, it's fantastic. And then to meet Emily and work alongside her, we, we have a great time. We've got a great cast. And we have a good giggle. Um, so, you know, I, I, we're all during Not the hiatus. According to the right Hollywood now. Reporter. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, they write so many fantastic no, details. 
detailed I'm facts. just glad that we're back on the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> Enjoyed, you know, the first series, I think. This is better, actually. So Get back to the book. So you, you, you've got a role as an exact producer this time. And yeah, well, I was the first time. I've done the role. And how do you... <laughs> how do you... How do you... Well, giving you more money. Is it? Well, Keeper Sutherland said it's what they give you when they run out of fruit baskets. <laughs> um, what... How do you go about carving up the book? Because it's such a dense book. And, and for me, one of the highlights of, of seeing season one and what tantalised me the most was the realisation that it was being stretched out beautifully and that we were in for a long ride. And how do you You're a fan of the book? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I don't... I think it, the first series, provocative and visually exciting and the stuff that Michael Bryant added to it. But I think they... When I... When you saw it eventually, I thought it just got a little too far away from the book. Okay. And the audience sometimes, you need to reward them if they're going to watch a show. I mean, you what? need to give them, you can't tease them forever. There was a fantastic show called Carnival. On, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But it went nowhere. I mean, every time you thought you might, you watch two shows and you go, can I have a little something instead of just keep teasing me? Yeah. And I think, you know, the one that, you know, the episode like the, with Ricky and, Emily's backstory as their characters, and then the Essie character back in. But it was only, you know, we found they had to make then a sort of a, a mad dash finish, in a sense, where the revealing Odin. But that's it what had, I mean. No, so. I mean, but it was kind of, it worked out. But I think, you know, the second season should never be the same as the first anyway. No. And you have to get back to more the characters like him and her. There was too much about that got away from. The gods, and I think this season you get more of the, the terrific actors who are in the show yeah. who get to interact with each other as a god. So you get more and more about Bilkis just doesn't eat men anymore. She actually is a woman who actually has a, you know, she's got, you know, you know what I mean? You got, I mean, you're going to do, you can't do that. But there's a lot of time. world building in first seasons. Of first yeah, I mean, it's like the end of it when they had me, you know, um, Wednesday declaring herself to be Odin. Yeah. I mean, like in, in, Thank God we had, you know, uh, the break there because it would. I think Wednesday would have turned around and say, "Jesus, I need a week to recover from all that energy." Because it's not a, it's not a Harry Potter show, and it's not a Marvel show. It's not a DC show. Yeah, it's the great shows. It's got its own sort of strange. I always think Gaiman's writing in this thing is like sort of <coughs> bit like magic realism. Mm. Sort of like it goes into, you know, it may, it goes into other areas. It metamorphoses into something else, and you've got to go with the characters. So this year, we have a relationship yeah. more. They have a relationship. It switches around a little, like no longer as you think, well, Ricky might, it might be the other way around. Yeah. She, like, wants him back because he can't, can't get him. I mean, but so <laughs> you get into the more personal thing between the people. Yeah. Okay, carry on, guys. Uh, <laughs> Emily, uh, I don't know about, about you guys, but for me, uh, Laura was one of the kind of breakouts of, of season one. I really enjoyed the journey that, that she went on, the journey you took her on. Um, as well as the kind of love story between between you and Shadow, one thing I really enjoyed was the relationship with Matt Sweeney. Um, mm-hmm. How how does that develop over the next series? It definitely evolves. Um, there's still a lot of us, you know, there, I, I still throw him around a bit and um, there's a lot of, like, <laughs> you know, antagonising one another. But... Um, <laughs> Laura's arc is very different this season and I think that you know the first season was just her she kind of was like just she had Shadow that was her like North Star and she was kind of myopic and Sweeney was like a nuisance for her and I think her 
her arc shifts a little bit after she meets Mr. Wednesday. And, um, yeah, I think we had this, I had this issue when Ricky and I were doing interviews this morning. Every time they would ask about Laura and Sweeney, there's very little that I can say without feeling like yeah, I'm going to sure. ruin everything. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, they definitely, they definitely are kind of together for most of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> can't say, yeah, can't say that's all I can say. Really. Um, we we were left uh, seeing a little bit of the house on the rock. Mm-hmm. And what can you tell us about the house on the rock? How's it, how does that how how we, how does that transpire and transpire? Um, well, it's it's a very famous part of the book. And yeah. at the end of the day, we're kind of taking you along this timeline of Neil Gaiman's and then deviating a little bit just to keep it fresh. But it's this incredible place that is a real house in Wisconsin, in the middle of nowhere, which is insane. It is, I mean, you're going to see it here, and I, I still don't think we're going to do it justice. Neil tried to tone it, tone it down in the book because he didn't think people would believe this place existed. We're going to show you everything, and of all the CGI and the special effects that we've got, you're going to think we did something in that house and everything you see in that house is real it's it's bizarre you I mean I'm not going to ruin it but it really was bizarre but it's 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 mag- it's magical and it, it really fitted in with the show and, and it was fantastic to shoot there and um I wouldn't know yeah because Emily wasn't invited <laughs> only only the the favorites got to go on location she's yet to go on location you can't come any further mum no I'm sorry you can come backstage while you see it no it is an amazing spot it's a roadside attraction which America's full of you know like the biggest yeah. tire in the world yeah. biggest ball of wool whatever all those places but the weird funny dinosaurs attract all people place. people like you know it's like you know I remember going to Atlanta uh, filming there and going to see the Civil Rights Museum there were three people inside that and there were 150,000 people queuing up for the world of Coca-Cola which tells you a lot about no, it lot about, yeah. tells you a lot about what people and but this house on the rock is an extraordinary place like there's a there's a maritime museum a serious one all around this warehouse but in the middle of it is a life-size sculpture of a whale wrestling with a giant squid, which is, I mean, enormous, the entire. That's in the middle. And then where we were, we were in the biggest carousel in the world, you know, with all these lights. and No, it's just one of those places. Wow. Magic. Well, as Wednesday says, and that's why they go there, Neil, because they are places of energy. It's where people go to. Yeah. And where people gather together, there is energy. And that's what the gods feed off to go back in, you know, to have this meeting of the minds to go, Wednesday's trying to get a war going, you know. They're not too keen, the gods, you know. I mean, they're quite, <laughs> they're quite happy but where it, they are. Well, no, well, in a sense, yeah, but, but that's part of the book as well. I mean, it's, and you know, knowing the book, it's a difficult show to do because, to temper, because you, you, you don't want to give away too much. On the other hand, you have to give yeah. something for the audience to remain. And I think one of the great things was having, you know, was having that Laura. Well, you, you need a girl anyway in your show. Otherwise, you'd be just two guys. No, you do. A girl, a car, and a gun. Wasn't that good? I said, that's just yeah, the yeah, movie, yeah. right? But in this case, you've got a rotting girl, you know, on an old con man and her ex-husband. But the other characters are great. That's what you get this year. I think you get a feeling of that they interact with each other. So what, what new characters can we look forward to? What, which ones? Uh, Nancy. Yeah. Bilquis. Ibis. They're the old characters. No, but uh, yeah, but you really haven't met them much. Yeah, I mean, you only true. had the one scene with Orlando. It was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, the one great scene on the slave ship. Mm-hmm. And then he was sort of disappeared after that because, as I said, and then you've got to... And coming back this year to that, and then Cohen's, uh, you know, I'm still a bit of a road trip, Ricky and I. Yeah. And you do get a, a coming to America's in a different way. You get a backstory of 
um, Sweeney, which is great, and you understand why he's so angry, hurt, and drunk. And dr- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My character, yeah. Wednesday, you go back to when we're having a road trip and you go back to when Wednesday lost the son in the 30s when he was somebody else and yeah. ran something. So there's interesting stuff, and it ends, I think, because Ricky's character is the most difficult. Because yeah. he's the eye, you know, the show is seen through his eyes. Yeah. And he has to be certainly passive in a certain sense. But this year he takes, it's more, because it's his story. Yeah. That's what you, I mean, why is, why are the people, why is Wednesday obsessed by having Shadow come on? But he wants Shadow to find out things for himself. Yeah. You mentioned that the, the prologues, which were brilliant in season one, and especially with the slave ship, was one of my favorites. Did, yeah. you, have, did you have a favorite one out of those? And have we got more of those in season two? I mean, Sweeney's episode is almost like a. It's kind of like what the episode, what the SC episode was last yeah. season. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a whole Sweeney backstory that Neil, I guess, had like a thousand pages that he'd written just of Sweeney's backstory. So that's kind of. I mean. To be fair, that's the only episode I've seen other than episode one, so I think that's why it's my favourite kind of prologue. But um, we do, just to quickly go back to your last question, we do also have some really, really cool new characters um, and new actors, like Sakina Sakina Jaffrey, who's playing Mama G, is just like... Who is Carly. Yeah. Yeah, she's just amazing. Oh, she's and, Yeah, and Kai and Kim is playing new media. Um, who else? Devery. Debbie Jacobs. You have Debbie Jacobs who plays Sam Crow, who's a First Nation uh, character that Neil put into the show, and um, Dean Winters also. So you know, we 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 had a, a lot of characters who are in the book and that fans are looking forward to seeing. Because um, like I said, at the end of the day, we are following the book. We've got the slight deviations to keep it fresh for everyone. Yeah. Um, but you'll see, it's 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 very similar to season one in in that unique, rich tone. Um, it's got a very similar feel. Um, that's what I was going to ask. It's because one of the surprising, you know, after after reading the book for so many years, kind of in trying to picture how it was going to going to be visualised was one of the, was one of the real treats of seeing it, and, and to see it so so colourful when a lot of other kind of uh, uh, continuing dramas and kind of like high quality box set kind of dramas go the other way and go mm-hmm. go dark and gritty. This was quite refreshing to see something so neon. Mm-hmm. Season two is a bit darker in tone. Is it? How does it? How does it look and feel? Is it the same? Visually, it's. 100% the same show and I think that's a lot to do with Chris Byrne who was our second unit director on the first season and who is who and we pushed it for him to continue when he was yeah. the rocky start and said Chris was a very smart guy mm-hmm. and worked together with the, you know the two other producers from episode from series one uh, Craig and Stephanie and uh, and I think you know Michael and Brian did a fantastic job of introducing it whatever went on because yeah. you never know because lawyers came in so you'll never know the truth story <laughs> hubris money greed sex yeah. love whoever knows what went on because it, nobody can speak it Exactly. Except that, that you know, it was. Involved? I mean, no, yeah, but who knows? Don't quote us on that. <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you yeah, never yeah. know the reasons yeah. because they were all on the gag orders not to talk about it. Yeah. But Brian, but they left behind lots of ideas, which you know, yeah. could still be used. It was a question of who the hell was going to step in, top writer, top showrunner. Step into that job on the season two? No, yeah. you needed an editor. You needed somebody who was willing to come in and sort out and clean it, and then towards the end, be a little more creative. And Jesse did 
his best and it was fine up to a point. Then it became, how do we end the show again? How, what do we do to set the, to set the stage for series three? Yeah. And I think, yeah, we did not a bad job on it, you know? Yeah. And we Chris really Byrne was a huge part yeah, of it. Yeah, I know, Chris, I yeah. yeah. And Orlando was great because Orlando's a very fine writer, so he's quite involved with the uh, creative side too. And it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, besides which, having worked on shows like Deadwood, uh, it's kind of good to have a bit of creative chaos going on behind. Yeah. No, really, I know it's tough at the time, but, mm-hmm. you know, when we did it, Milch was never satisfied. There was never a finished script because he was too busy watching the process of how the script went and then he'd adjust to the characters later on in the episode. In other words, they weren't sort of, I've written six scripts and you're going to say every word. This is, that's like, you know, yeah. it's like network TV. You will say this and whatever, but no, this is different. I need tweak it. Milch, and that was what kind of good about this, that at the end you, you know where you're going and you say you want to set up. So the last episode is really about Ricky, who finds out two enormous things. So two enormous things. I'm sorry, Rick, I didn't mean that. Um, he finds out two revelations, yeah. and it's how he deals with them when yeah. in series three. Yeah. I, I had to think about that. I was like, I know, no, I was it's going, a no, long it's time ago. We wrapped right. in October. I was like, two? You're the dream interview for a journalist, I tell you, that was from me. <laughs> um, Ricky, something Ian and I can, can relate to is, is, is how much you have to put into your body and, and, and uh, the training that you, that you do to get, to, get, to get a shadow. How is that? By pizza and burgers. And... How, how is hashtag uh, becoming Shadow Moon going? We, 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 I've been following that quite avidly. I'm, I'm hashtag losing it, <laughs> stuffing my face with all sorts of crap because I don't have to be jerked. I was so hungry season two because Shadow got his top off a lot so I was just dehydrated and not eating oh anymore. poor baby <laughs> Jesus him and Matt Sweeney together going yes it's our fifth stewed chicken of the day with a watermelon on the side and we're both going to now dehydrate because that shows that Walls doing press ups there's a very funny story about Albert Finney once and it's great did you read it uh, it's a great about Thank God I'm past that too, about talking to, having lunch. Malcolm McDowell told it. It was wonderful. Malcolm is great. He said he was having lunch at Albert a few years ago in a church on Chelsea, and behind them was Michael Douglas. Yeah. And Albert said, Malcolm, just have a look and tell me what he's eating, will you? So Malcolm went on and said, Steak and salad. And Albert said, Oh, he's still taking his clothes off in films, is he? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's true. I mean, it's, it's tough. At the end of the day, I mean, we, we do all joke and stuff, but it's, it's an extra layer as, as an actor, you know, when we're doing long, tough days, people uh, kind of go home and or they go home and learn their lines. And yeah, I still do that. But then I've got the added kind of pressure of, of maintaining a body weight that is completely unnatural for me <laughs> so I, I have to I have to then hit the gym and, and have to maintain a certain amount of calories and it's <laughs> well, so that's what Ian does. He just sleeps, whereas I actually have to hit the gym and uh, do all that sort of stuff. But uh... Uh, have we got time for some questions? I thought, has anybody got any questions? Because my goodness me, uh, we'll go to you, sir, at the back. You have to stand up and shout. Uh, hi. Um, specifically for Ian, and it's uh, probably only relevant to people of my age and a bit older. But how much do you think your role as Lovejoy, which is obviously iconic within the UK? Uh, contributed to your being cast as 
to some extent a similar trickster and kind of wheeler dealer. That thing nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> but I said no because you know you've gone on it's an American show. I mean, I think no, I think the show was originally offered to Nick Cage. Can you imagine they're still be shooting Jeffers of Lovejoy? No, not love. Can you imagine that? That'd be great. They're going to bring you back. Why? Why is Nick Cage was the first go-to? Wasn't he supposed to be Superman as well? No, but but no, I think Nick was originally. No, he was. He was. Because you were cast first, and then they were talking on. And I said, I didn't want Nick. I want Ian. So you're welcome. Very nice. There you go. It's all down to Ricky. Lovejoy was great, but I don't think you know. I'd love to think. I know what you mean in character. Yeah. Do you know it's 25 years since we finished? Jesus. Wow. I was five. You were five? Cheers, <laughs> Emily. I was five once. You, sir. I hope that American Gods becomes as big as Game of Thrones. Cause, uh, I don't think it'll ever be like that. I think it, it's a much more... I know it sounds funny, but it's a more complicated show in terms of... The That's just tits and dragons. <laughs> <laughs> They loved that. They loved it. Twitter works, whatever. No, I mean, it's like... It's like no, you can't be too serious about what you do. I mean, you love it. And I love this show. I really do love doing it. Toronto is a lovely town to be in if yeah. you're going to be away from home for a while. And, you know, the Bell actors are great. Everybody gets on with it. It's like there's no friction. But, you know, they, they, they love to hear about it. I mean, it's, and it's like, you know, I... Series two is going to be, yeah, it's going to be really good. Series three will have to change again because the book shifts tone all the time. You know, and it's like figuring out whereas because the book doesn't have Emily's character in that way, it's tough figuring out where, what to do with you once Sweeney, because Sweeney will have had his time soon, whatever. You know, who knows? It's like, it's complicated, I which love, is good. I, love how, I mean, I've interviewed quite a lot of people that have been in shows similar to this, and, and some of them just turn up and, and, and read the lines. You live you, you live and breathe, Mr. Wednesday, and it's really refreshing to see. <laughs> well, you're, you're stuck, you're, you get stuck into it, don't you? Yeah, but it's like anything you do. I mean, going back and going back and doing Deadwood, you know, I think we did a film of Deadwood, but that, that was surreal. Going back, and going back. Well, it was 13 years later, and everybody, it was exactly the same in the sense that we're all 12, 13 years old. Oh, was it 2006? Yeah, 13 years. But everybody was exactly the same because it was a great cast of people. Everybody got on, respected each other, what they did. So it was like, yep, this time it was like saying you'd finish the scene and go, well, this is goodbye. <laughs> because the first time it was abrupt, the ending, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. happened yeah. there. Again, more sex, hubris, more ego, and yeah. you know, whatever the reason yeah. that went on. <laughs> but it's like saying, yeah, you love a show, you like doing a show. Also, television done like this is really exciting. Yeah. Because it changes every week. I think it's not terrestrial television. You're not working to any... And people who produce it don't interfere, you know. Fremantle don't try to get out of the way at a certain point, you know. And so do... Um, so do Amazon, yeah. so do stars, and they let you get on with it. Mm -hmm. Thanks, what, We're going to let you guys get on with it on the screen. Right. Uh, we're going to get excited right now with episodes <laughs> one and two. Ladies and gentlemen, you can put your hands together for, for Ian and Ricky. Thanks, guys. So that was the interview with the cast of American Gods. Uh, season two of the show arrives on Amazon Prime on Monday the 11th. So you can go and find it on uh, Amazon Prime. Go and get watching that. And uh, watch season one. If, you ha if you've got Amazon Prime and haven't caught season one, go and watch it. It's a great show. Now we have some highlights for next week on TV. <laughs> 
So, highlights for next week on TV. We have Bounty Hunters Season 2 coming to Sky 1. That's the Jack Whitehall and Rosie Perez action comedy. That's on the 13th of March at 10pm. Following that, we've got uh, Madam Secretary, the second half of Season 5. That's on the 14th of March at 10pm. That returns. We have the second half of Season 5 of Arrested Development. That's on the 15th of March. That's coming to Netflix. Also on the 15th of March. There's a few things on Netflix, actually. Queer Eye, the third season of that, returns on the 15th. And Turn Up Charlie, that also lands on the 15th. This is the uh, Idris Alba comedy about the struggling GJ, an eternal bachelor who is given a final chance at success when he reluctantly becomes a manny to a famous best friend's problem child daughter. And lastly, we have Prove Innocent Season 1 coming to Universal TV on the 18th of March at 9pm. This is a legal drama set at a wrongful conviction firm. It's led by a fierce and fearless female lawyer with a hunger for justice. The team reopens investigations, putting their own lives in danger to exonerate the innocent that were proven guilty. And that stars Rochelle Lefreve, Russell Hornsby and Kelsey Grammer as well. So it could be one to go and watch out for. I have no idea. I've never seen it, but uh, it's one that I might give a try. That's the lot for this week. We will be back to a normal show next week definitely it will all be back to normal now the computer problems are all solved so we will see you then in the meantime you can of course go to geektown.co.uk throughout the week to see all the latest air date info if you want to get in touch with your questions or comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that is everything we shall see you next week bye bye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.